Well, good morning. So good to see you this morning. I want to welcome you. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, as Alex said, we are one church, multiple locations, and we know each and every weekend it's someone's first time. So uh, if this is your first time, I haven't had an opportunity to meet you. I look forward to meeting you after service. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I want to just kind of piggyback on that video just real quick and just kind of highlight uh, just a story is actually a text I received yesterday, uh, a single mom who uh, we had the opportunity to go to her home and just uh, bless her and her family. And uh, she texted me yesterday and she sent me a picture of a rose bush that they put out there. And it says, uh, I get so emotional every day when I walk outside. This year has been all about new blessing, new beginnings and getting my garden cleaned and planned, uh, planted was the final touch. We feel so blessed to have the Milestone family serve us. Thank you from my crazy tribe. And uh, I thought it was so amazing that the picture she sent, there's already rose bushes were already starting to blossom. And, uh, and I texted her back and I just said, that's just the beginning of what God's going to do in your life. And again, Milestone, it's you, it's the seeds you've planted, the seeds you're watering, making a difference in people's families, in their homes, in this community, in this city. And it doesn't go unnoticed. And here's what I love is that it's not just something that we do one time a year. It's something we do all year long. So thank you again. Can we just one more time just celebrate all that God did at Serve Day, all of you serving, giving, leading. So grateful uh, for your generosity. Well, we're wrapping up a series called Let's Talk Family. And uh, if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, we've been looking at this powerful uh, arena, this aspect, this area of our life that really means the most to us, but it's also the area that sometimes is the most painful. Uh, it's hard, it's challenging, um, but we're learning and have learned that God cares a lot about the family. He has a plan, he has a purpose, he has a pattern. We care a lot about the family and looking to God's word, not just simply looking and being able to gather some uh, practical things and not just being able to gather this uh, or acknowledge this desire that we have to, to get it right, but also look to God's word and look and see how do we respond and engage when it comes to family. And we, we learned that the first two weeks we talked about really some foundational areas when it comes to family. If we're going to build in a wise way, if we're going to talk family in a way that's healthy and in a way that's going to help us grow, we, we looked at the starting block really is humility and honor. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's not always the place in which we start. It's not always what we necessarily think, but humility and honor is the foundation. And what that begins to do is it sets the climate and the temperature for our home. And then we talked about last week that there's this, this area that is probably the most challenging, but the most necessary when it comes to family and its communication. It doesn't matter what season you're in when it comes to family, uh, whether you're an empty nester, whether you have grandkids, whether you have little kids or teenagers, whether you're single, uh, whether you just got married or just got engaged, whatever season you're in, God will meet you where you're at. If you'll just lean into him and you'll continue to take steps, God will meet you where you're at when it comes to family. But family can be hard. Family's challenging. And what I want to talk about today is, as we learned last week, communication is intentional, it's, it's vulnerable, and it's life-giving. The, the challenge with communication, though, is sometimes when we're looking to build 
healthy relationships and, and we're looking to learn how to communicate well, there's something that, that sometimes we can sometimes misinterpret as something that hinders our communication, and it's conflict. So I want to I talk just a little bit about conflict and how do we handle conflict and how do we resolve conflict and how do we build healthy relationships. You see, relationships are so painful and it would be much easier if it was like the movies and you could just kind of, it was just, I could just wish to just kind of get there, just kind of fast forward and everything is just kind of just works out. I heard this uh, little silly and, and funny, humorous story. There was, a, there was a woman walking along the beach. It was kind of like in a movie, you know. It's just pretty and beautiful, the waves coming in, and, and she finds a, a genie bottle. I mean, who knew, you know, just right there, just like in the movies. And she did exactly what you would do if you found a bottle. You rubbed it, and out pops Will Smith, and he's all blue, you know, and here he is, okay. And, and the genie is there, and he says, you can have one wish, any wish that you want. What would you like? She starts thinking, and she pulls out a backpack, and she opens up this map. And she says, look, right here, this is the Middle East. She said, I would love for there to be peace in the Middle East. And Jeannie says, I mean, there's been, I mean, they've been fighting for thousands of years. I mean, there's just conflict after conflict. It'll never happen. I know I said one wish, whatever you want, you can have it. That's like, that's virtually impossible. Uh, just pick something else. So she thought a minute. She said, okay. She said, I would love a man who never wants to watch sports, who sits on the back porch with me just talking for hours will go shopping with me, let me buy anything I want. And the genie stopped a minute and said, let me see that map again. <laughs> you see, sometimes that is how it can feel when it comes to building healthy relationships in conflict. You're like, man, this feels hopeless. Man, I, can I just wish my way there? I just wish it was different. I just wish they would get it. I just wish I hadn't made those decisions or that person hadn't done that thing that impacted my life and my children's lives. And it can feel challenging and hard, but I want you to know it's not going to be wishful thinking that's going to get us there. It's going to be intentional decisions and steps that we take to resolve conflict in a healthy way. I want you to open up your Bibles. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. We're going to get there in just a minute. I'm going to take just a little bit of time to set this up before we actually get to Romans. And, and what I want to do today is hopefully kind of help change the way in which you see and understand conflict. Because I believe conflict can actually be a catalyst. You see, we're all looking, what, what, what do we do? How do we just have the, the perfect family? How do we get things right? How do we get things in order? I, I want to put your mind at ease. There's no perfect family. There's stuff that you're going to walk through. There's challenges that you're going to have. There's circumstances and situations that are going to make it challenging. So there is no perfect family, but I want you to understand that really what can begin to happen is you handle conflict in a healthy way. As you walk with humility and honor and you learn to communicate, conflict can be the thing that actually brings you closer to one another rather than pushes you away. But the hard part about conflict is it's unexpected. It's kind of like if you've been driving down the road, perhaps a road that you normally drive down, and you see a sign like this, and you're wondering, does that pertain to me? Have you ever thought that? You're like, road close to through traffic. You're like, well, I'm through traffic because I need to get through here, and I don't want to go all the way around, so that pertains to me. Or does it mean just the people that are living there? And see, here's the hard part 
about signs like this and the hard part about conflict because you're driving down a road, you're going in the direction that you have always gone, you think everything is just fine and normal and all of a sudden you hit a roadblock. And the hard part about this is it's unexpected, it's inconvenient, and it's frustrating. When you're in the middle of a conversation, you're just trying to work something out. Have you ever been in the middle of a conversation with your spouse or with your child, and all of a sudden things go sideways, and it's like, boom, this sign gets thrown up, and you're like, what just happened? Like, how did we get here? But here's what I want you to understand is on the other side of a sign like this, there tends to always be construction and improvements on the other end. You see, if we handle and resolve conflict well, we can learn that conflict really becomes the catalyst for reconciliation. That's what God is wanting us to learn and to get. You see, conflict can actually draw us, as I said, it can draw us closer. And going all the way back to week one, we've learned a couple things, and we've kind of been on this journey together. We've learned that humility is the principle. It's the principle that God wants us to live by. Honor is the practice. You, you live out humility on a, on a daily basis by honoring one another. We learned last week that communication is the process. It's the delivery system that we use in which we communicate and operate with humility and honor. Well, then now we, we recognize that because of that, reconciliation is the purpose. Reconciliation is the purpose. You see, there's going to be conflict that arises and things that come up, and it's not just simply going to be wishful thinking that's going to get you there. It's going to be God's pattern, and you intentionally taking steps in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships that's going to help you get there. You see, conflict's all around us. I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm reminded of this every time I walk into my bathroom. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's, that's a little too much, Pastor Chris. Hold on. We'll see. I've got three little girls, and my three little girls, for whatever reason, fail to realize that they actually have their own bathroom. When I, when I build a house, I'm just going to build a four-bedroom home with a half bath and one single bath because my kids, they don't want to use their bathroom. They want to be in my bathroom because when I walk in my bathroom, guess what? Their clothes is on the floor. Their toothbrushes are all over. Toothpaste is all over my sink, and I'm thinking, what is happening here? I guarantee there's more toothpaste on that sink than actually got in their mouth. I'm like, go. I like, I want to use my bathroom. I want to take a shower. I mean, I'm about to just start using their bathroom because they've They've taken over. And with three little girls, I'm thinking about, man, this is just a precursor to what it's going to be like when they start coming in and using makeup in my bathroom. There's going to be concealer and powder and, and foundation and all the, and you're thinking, well, how do you know that? Because I've got a house full of four women, okay? And listen, it's like, what is happening? There is conflict every time I walk into my bathroom. You see, you can have all the tools. You can have the perfect little home, so you think. You can do all the things that, you try, that, you, that you're trying to do and, and just kind of bring everything into alignment. And, and you can work really hard and, and you can love each other and you can be patient with one another. But here's what I've realized. You can do all those things, but you're still going to have conflict. It's going to happen. It's going to come up. So the question is, how do we resolve conflict? How do you handle it? How do you learn to, to, to fight fair? How do you learn to have conversations and, and communicate in a way that when conflict comes up and that detour sign, road closed, comes up, how do you handle that and how do you resolve it? Because we are all going to experience conflict. 
But I want you to understand that conflict can actually become the opportunity to bring you closer together with the other individual. I, I say it this way. Often conflict is the price that we pay for deeper intimacy. Because the way we handle conflict, conflict will always produce intimacy if we handle it correctly. If we handle a healthy conflict in a, in a correct way, but it's counterintuitive. It, we're like, that, that doesn't sound right. That does not compute. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't even like what you're saying, Pastor Chris. I don't want any of that. See, because when it comes to conflict, I think sometimes we misinterpret conflict. You see, some of you, you, you avoid conflict. You're like, if conflict just starts to pop up just a little bit, you run the other direction. You're like, I'm out of here. And I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody want any of that. Some of you are kind of like, well, I don't know. I kind of feel like a little bit of conflict today. I kind of don't. Some of you, you're going, oh, I like conflict. Bring on all the conflict. You probably are causing a little more conflict than you need. You're, you're instigating it. And see, what happens is this. I think sometimes the problem is sometimes the things we call conflict are actually chaos. It's chaos. We've misinterpreted what conflict actually is. You see, in chaos, there's no rules, there's no boundaries, and because of that, it results in a lack of safety and security. It's like being in a war zone. And there's chaos all around. And you don't know which way's up, which way's down. And when you don't feel safe, when you don't feel like, okay, hold on, hold on. There's, there's a fight. There's an argument. We don't see eye to eye. You see, what happens is when those things come up, you begin to push back. You begin to protect yourself. It's all about survival. It's all about insulating yourself and ensuring that you're not hurt or wounded. But the difference between chaos and conflict is that conflict healthy conflict, there's an agreement to a larger vision. There's guidelines and there's a way to feel safe because God will use conflict. He'll use conflict to draw you closer to the other person. He'll use conflict to develop you and grow you. He'll use conflict to cause you to go deeper and understand where the other person is coming from, what they feel. You develop a greater measure of empathy because of conflict. You see, in healthy conflict, you keep larger values in mind. You keep larger values in mind because you recognize God's using it to draw you closer to someone else. If you stop and you listen and you understand where they're coming from, but in chaos, it's whatever you want in the moment. I feel like having this conversation. Well, now I don't. I feel like, okay, I'm going to say my piece and then I'm going to move on to something else. You see, that's the difference between conflict and health, healthy conflict and, and chaos. In, in healthy conflict, you own your own flaws and you don't stir up strife, but in chaos, you take any edge you can find. It's all about winning. I shared with you before, my, my mentality, my personality would be like, let's win, win at all costs. Well, that doesn't always work when I'm having a conversation with Wendy. If winning is the goal, I may not be resolving conflict in a healthy way. I may be fueling chaos and I wonder why do things feel the way they do? It's because... I'm experiencing chaos, not healthy conflict. You see, it's painful. It's challenging. But it's so important for us to get because the quality of your life is going to be determined by how you resolve conflict. The quality of your life, it's going to be there. And we're going to look at the words of Paul in Romans 12 here in just a minute. And he's going to help us understand that 
Conflict is always going to be there. You cannot avoid it. You can't run from it. You can't keep yourself from, from, from uh, uh, experiencing it. So we're going to have to learn how to handle this correctly. We're going to have to learn how to walk through it correctly. And if we do, there is intimacy and a closer relationship on the other side. Paul's talking in Romans chapter 12, and, and here's what he's saying. In Romans 12, it's unique because it's kind of like, it's, it's almost as if it's the guidelines for like interpersonal relationships. In fact, when Paul writes Romans 12, it's very similar to how he writes 1 Corinthians 12. There's a lot of similarities in the style and the way in which he writes it, and he's setting up this context. And, and when you're reading in your Bible, just before you get to verse 18, there's a section of Scripture, and it's almost, it says, marks of a Christian life. And, and he talks about a whole bunch, there's a lot of qualifiers in what he's saying and how we interact. He's talking about be patient, long-suffering, and, and walk with one another, and, 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 and be patient in tribulation, honor each other, rejoice in all things. He says, he says don't persecute one another. He, he talks about not being wise in your own eyes, don't be prideful. And he says, don't repay evil with evil. And then he dives in, and there's this, Right towards the end, verse 18, and this is what he says. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the question is this, what depends on me? What is, as, as much as it depends on me, I need to live at peace with one another. You see, there's so many qualifiers here in this scripture, so many qualifiers. He's saying, listen, how can you own what you can own? How can you own what you, if it's possible, meaning there's an action, there's a step you have to take, and you have to own what you can own. You're not going to worry about what anyone else can do. As much as it depends on you, you are going to do what you can do to live at peace with one another. But this is hard, because when you think about the cultural context, we have so much access we have access to, to all these different things. We have access to information. And we think just because we can Google it and we have the information, that then we get it. Just because you Google it doesn't mean you get it. It doesn't mean you know how to live it out. And because we have access to information so quickly, we want it to fix. We want it to change. We want to get it in a rapid way. And we're like, man, how did? Well, why isn't this working? I'm trying to implement all the things I'm reading, all the things I'm listening to, all of these things. Why can't it? You can't get that. You didn't get here overnight. You're not going to fix it overnight. And so it's going to take time. It's going to take you engaging and interacting. You see, we have so many options and areas of life that we've never had before. We live in a day and age that it's like, man, if I don't like it, deselect, canceled, move on. I, I, and I'm wondering, and you wonder why, 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 why am I experiencing these things? And you've experienced those things. Perhaps you're in a season, in a situation in your marriage. Maybe you're in your second marriage. Maybe you've just recently become single again, and you're on the back end of a circumstance where you've experienced that, and it's painful. And so we wonder, why did this happen? How come? And then you look at everyone else's life all over Facebook and, and Instagram and social media, and you start comparing your life to theirs, and you feel this pressure for it to look a certain way, and it's all put together. And so you think, well, they must not have conflict. They've got it all figured out. It's not true. It's not true. There are no perfect families. Everyone doesn't have it figured out. You're going to have conflict in your life, but you can handle it correctly. You can embrace it and walk through it in a healthy way. 
You see, there's benefits. There's benefits to conflict. There's authenticity. You're not faking it. You address the elephant in the room. There's clarity. You know where each other stands. There's a fresh start. It gives you a reset in relationships. And there's security. Because you realize how resilient your relationship is. You think about the things that you've walked through in marriage and in relationship. You see, God can use it, and my hope is this, is that you would recognize that conflict is a catalyst and can be a catalyst for healthy relationship, not a contradiction to healthy relationship. It's not an opposition. Paul's writing is saying, listen, it depends on you, but just as much as it depends on you with the help of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, you can bring peace in your family, in your relationships, in your marriage, in the interactions that you have. So how do we do that? How do do we practically begin to recognize and see how conflict can be a catalyst for reconciliation, that we can develop intimacy in our relationships, that we can understand where each other is coming from, and we can learn to listen. Where are our teenagers coming from? Where are our parents coming from? Where where, Where are our kids coming from? Where is our spouse coming from? How do we build healthy relationships? Well, the first is this. You have to commit to covenant. Commit to covenant. You see, covenant, you're thinking, well, is that like a big theological word? No, it's a commitment to say, I am committed to this individual. I'm committed to my family. I'm committed to my children because I'm committed to God. And that covenant is driven by a relationship with God, not by your, not by your convenience or your preference or what that other individual has done. I'm committed because of who God is to me. You see, covenant in the Latin the original Latin word actually means coming together. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4 says, By wisdom a house is built. Through understanding it's established, and through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. That's what we want for our home. That's what we want for our families. But there's a pattern. There's a pattern. Wisdom. Wisdom builds it. Understanding establishes it. Knowledge fills it. There's nothing worse than you go to buy a new home and, and you're, you work so hard and you can afford buying the home, but guess what? It's beautiful. And now you realize your furniture from your previous home doesn't look good in your new home. But you so extended building that new home, now you, ain't got any, you don't got any money to, to now uh, put new furniture in your new home. There's nothing more frustrating than that. But it's as you build with wisdom, as you establish with understanding, as you take knowledge, you fill it with the things God has desired for you. But where does that come from? It comes from covenant. Covenant. You see, it's God's pattern. It's his plan. It's how he designed it and operated and worked it. You see, it's only covenant that, it's only a covenant with God that allows you to put God before your spouse, your spouse before yourself, and your promise before your options. But this is where it's hard because some of you, you've been on the opposite end of that. You thought you were in a relationship for covenant and that covenant was broken. And I want you to know God sees you. He cares. He has a tender heart towards you. 
He doesn't overlook it. And he brings peace and healing to that situation that you've experienced. And what's so amazing about God is the same way his desire in conflict is to bring reconciliation. The conflict you've experienced in a previous relationship or marriage that is now broken and fractured, God can reconcile. And he makes all things new. Your better days are ahead of you. It's covenant. It's covenant. You see, when we understand that covenant is the foundation and the building block to healthy relationship, it helps us then understand how to contribute and not consume. You go back to Romans 12, and what does it say? As much as it depends on you. You see, there's an aspect of going, okay, I need to contribute. There's something that I add. When you have a consumer mentality, it's about what do I want, how do I want it, and when do I want it? It's about, well, you know, I like like this and I like it like that. And there's a consumer mentality in your relationships. Listen, young people, when, when you, one of the greatest things you can do is just be grateful. When was the last time you stopped and you're like, Mom, Dad, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. Whatever it is, because what can happen is you grow up thinking, well, I just deserve it. You grow up thinking, well, I should, I, I should. My friends have this, my friends have that, my dad is that, right? How many times have you come home? I know I used to. Mom, dad, so and so got this. When do I get my new iPhone 12? Like, well, when you can, I can remember. I came home at, at, at uh, 12 years old, maybe I was 11 years old. I came home, I was like, Dad, I got these new shoes. They just came out, showing my age. Jordans. I want to get these new Jordans. I got to look fly in middle school. You know, I got to look, I got to look awesome while I'm riding my bike, you know. You know, I just need these Jordans. He said, well, okay, son, well, how much are those Jordans? He said, I said, $149. He said, 100 what? He said, I'll tell you what, I'll pay $30 for, towards them because that's what I've been paying for your shoes. There's a lawnmower and a weeder in the garage. I'll let you use that. You can go mow some yards. You can buy some Jordans. I said, all right, thank you taught me something. You see, there's gratitude that comes. You contribute. Husbands, wives, how's, how are you contributing in your relationships? For those of you that aren't married or maybe you're dating or, or, or you're engaged, how are you contributing? You see, when you contribute, you begin to see things differently. You go back to the word love and love. You, you recognize there's multiple meanings for the word love based on these definitions. And, and some of you are familiar with this. That There's the word phileo, which actually means brotherly love. There's eros, which means passionate love. There's storge, which is affection and protection. It's similar to a parent and a child. There's a Agape, which is unconditional love. You see, unconditional love is expecting nothing in return. When you contribute, you're expecting nothing in return. You see, rather than being in a relationship to consume, what can I get out of it when you're contributing? You're saying, how can I love? How can I benefit? How can I give expecting nothing in return? You see, when you contribute, it's birthed out of covenant. It's birthed out of covenant. That's what it's designed to do, and that's how God always intended for it to be. Because when you begin to understand that covenant is the basis and you're there to contribute, here's what begins to happen. You begin to fight from unity. Now, yes, we should fight for unity, but I want us to fight from unity, meaning it's the basis. It's the anchoring point. It's where it all begins. James 
chapter 4, verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? I love how he's asking this question. James is also the half-brother of Jesus. So think about probably the sibling rivalry. Imagine if your brother was the Messiah. Okay, a little comparison, you know. It's like, golly, Mom, you're just always like Jesus. He's like perfect. Like literally, like golly, I can't do anything right, okay? You think you have it bad, all right? You think there's competition. Imagine Jesus, half-brother. I mean, he's literally perfect. I mean, he's got it all together. But he says, where do these fights and quarrels come from? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You see, it starts within you. But when you recognize, I'm going to, we're going to, listen, Wendy and I, we're, we're different. We're so, so different. But we don't have unity just simply because we have common interests or, 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 or we have similarities. We have made the decision. This is what we're going to plant on. This is where we're going to make decisions from. This is where we're going to move from. Unity. We're synced up. Decisions we make for our family. Decisions we make for the girls. Conversations we have. Oneness. Whatever it may be, unity is the starting block. You see, because where does unity come from? The Bible says unity commands a blessing. You see, it's unity. This is the one issue that we are going to stand on and we're going to operate from. Why? Because that's what God's word says. And God's word sets a pattern. That pattern creates order. This word right here becomes the anchoring point. It's similar to like basketball. Anyone play basketball? You know, you got NBA. You got college. You got high school, maybe you got rec league, you know, some of us in here, a little, you know, we still got those hoop dreams, got a little rec league we're in, okay? And then you got good old street ball. You know what I'm talking about? Just Rucker Park, just street, just get out, just just slam dunk on folk, you know? Well, here's the thing. I don't slam dunk, by the way. I mean, I know you're seeing I'm vertically challenged, you know, unless we're playing like on an eight-foot rim. That's what I like about this one out here. I'm like, Alex, crank that thing down. I don't feel real powerful, you know? It, it, it's it, 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 the first four. Here's the thing about NBA and college and high school and even a rec league. You know what you do? You you have a you have a referee that's there, and you've empowered the referee to be the authority. If he says the ball is out, it's out. If he says you committed a foul, you committed a foul. Guess what? There's conflict. You don't see eye to eye, but guess what? The ref said that's what it is. That's what it is. But in street ball, it's different. Might is right. Whoever's the loudest, whoever's the strongest, whoever can prove their point, well, then they're right. I found, no, you didn't found me. That was out. No, when you're arguing, whoever's the loudest is the one that wins. That's chaos. You see, sometimes what we don't realize is within our family and our marriage, we're playing street ball. Because we're not going, no, 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 this is the authority. You see, this is the referee. Jesus is the standard. This is the referee. Oh, we're not going to go there. That's out of bounds. We're not going to talk like that. That's out of bounds. We're not going to say those things. You're not going to make the mistake, husbands, and go, man, you just like your mother. Unless, unless her mother's a saint and it's a compliment, then okay. But mother, most often, most men aren't throwing that statement out when they're trying to give compliments, okay? It's not going to go. You know what you're saying? Hey, well, well this word, that's out of bounds. We're, we're not going to talk like that. We're going to fight from unity. 
We're going to have conversations from a point of unity. We're going to be on the same page because this is it. And I want you to understand something. In your marriages and in your relationships, if you're wondering, I wish they would just speak up more. I wish they would just kind of be more. So I wish they would engage in the conversation. Can I tell you something? If you're feeling that, stop a minute. As much as it depends on you, that's what God's word says. Just ask yourself, you might be the one that's the loudest. And you know what? Anytime they try and speak up and get a word in, they don't get a word edgewise because you're louder. No, 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 that wasn't added. Might is right. And so you're trying to prove a point, and what you don't even realize is you're playing street ball, and you're wondering, why don't we have God's blessing in this area? You love your spouse. You love your family, but this one thing, this one area, this one conversation, we keep hitting a roadblock, hitting a roadblock, hitting a, we don't have unity because you're playing street ball. And if you'll stop a minute and surrender to the authority and let God's word be the referee and Jesus be the standard, you're going to start seeing yourself coming closer together. All the time you're wondering, why didn't, man, he don't ever say nothing. He don't engage in conversation. Maybe dial it back a little bit. Husbands, you're going, man, I wish she would just this, and I wish you, well, I mean, do you, do you ever stop to listen and hear where she's coming from, or is it, I am man, hear me roar, this is what we do. Okay, I mean, you're not going to win like that. You're not going to experience unity like that, but you're going to have a healthy relationship with your children. Can I say something? For your kids, stop and listen a little bit. Understand where they're coming from. Parents, recognize that your kids, you're shaping. And if unity becomes the baseline, then all of a sudden, they're not just an accessory in tow. It's actually, you're raising up little missionaries to the next generation. And you're instilling purpose into them. But it comes from unity. You see, because when you understand covenant, you contribute there's unity. Here's what begins to happen. You're able to forgive regularly. I love what the words of Micah chapter 7 verse 18 say. I'm going to read this in the message translation. It says, where is the God who can compare with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt and turning a blind eye or a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people. You don't nurse your anger and you don't stay angry long for mercy is your specialty. That's what you love most. You see, we've got to keep our eyes on the target. Ego and rejection will fuel chaos. But when you operate with humility and you forgive regularly, what begins to happen is you keep from minor offenses becoming major bitterness. How do you keep from that happening? By forgiving regularly. You forgive. And I understand for some of you, listen, the, 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 the conflict in your life really is chaos because what happened is someone in your life came and it's like they took a grenade and threw it in your life and boom, there is shrapnel. You didn't ask for it. You didn't realize. You didn't know on the back end you're thinking, well, if I would have known this, Pastor Chris, if I would have heard this message a year ago, two years ago, maybe I'd still be married. Maybe our, my relationship wouldn't be the way it is. And I understand that. Kids, you're in here. You're going, you feel like your life is just, it's imploded because of a decision someone made but you can walk with forgiveness and God can heal and bring reconciliation because that's who he is you see forgiveness is hard because we feel like if we forgive we're letting someone get away with something that they did 
But the greatest test to recognize when you have a hard time forgiving your spouse or your child, the greatest test to recognize if you're finding your identity in that relationship is how hard is it for you to forgive them? When they say something to you and it impacts you in a certain way and it's a significant way, perhaps just maybe you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus being the anchor and you're trying to find your identity and worth in that relationship and the fracture and the conflict that really is actually chaos is a byproduct of you having your eyes on the wrong thing. But if you'll forgive and forgive regularly, that's why forgiveness gets hard because we feel like we're gonna miss out on something that we want and a place in which we find identity and value when really our identity and value is found in Jesus. So we have to forgive regularly. You know, I'm reminded of that when, when I think of recognizing, you know, your personality. Sometimes it can be hard for you to forgive your spouse because you think about the things that they do. I, I, I'm reminded when I, when I look at my old wedding photos, you know, you, you've seen these before. You know, I got that, plow, that power flavor saver. It's got a touch on it. I mean, it really does. I mean, that hair, I'm not sure what was going on. You know, it was humid maybe that morning. You know, I got, there's a guy in the church, he sent me a picture. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling my inner Pastor Chris. He grew out his little flavor saver. He did, that lasted about a week and a half. His wife said, you don't shave that thing, you can go stay at Pastor Chris's house. I said, man, a guy, you better shave that thing. <laughs> and he did. He's a wise man. That second picture, we were actually laughing because Wendy had dropped cake down her dress, you know. Or maybe I dropped it down her dress. I don't know what happened, you know. But you think about, one of the things I love about Wendy is she's spontaneous and creative and fun. And it's amazing about, you know, the things that you love about your spouse. There's a moment where sometimes those things you love the most, they come in conflict with you and your flow. See, because I really like creativity and spontaneity right up until we got married and, and her creativity and spontaneity started turning into piles around the house. And I said, babe, you got, you got to pick up these piles because you clutter in my house. She said, my house? You mean our house? I said, yeah, I mean, that's what I meant, babe, our house, you know. Well, why would we want to change the other person? Because what happens is it inconveniences and frustrates us but when we recognize, yeah, listen, I'm going to appreciate who my spouse is and who my children are, and, and I'm grateful, but that doesn't negate the fact that I'm also going to continue to encourage and challenge them to grow in who God's intended them to be. Well, where does that come from? By being able to forgive regularly. See, you can have healthy relationships. It doesn't have to be just wishful thinking. The last thing I want you to do is I want you to hold on to hope. I want you to hold on to hope. It's not going to always be the way that it is. It's not going to always be this way. But if you'll hold on to hope, God will meet you where you're at. I, I'm reminded of this when I think about all these fixer-up shows, you know, fixer-upper and flipper-flop and all these. And what do they do? They take these homes, right, dilapidated, broken down, holes in the roof, holes in the sheetrock. And what do they do? They take it down to the studs. And they rebuild it into something beautiful. You see, you may be in this place in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids. You feel like there's holes in the sheetrock. 
you're removing walls and it's like as they remove the walls, there's things that are molded and rotted out. And what you thought was just kind of a minor little cosmetic adjustment reveals there needs to be a whole massive renovation. You feel like there's just damage that's beyond repair. But what I love about Jesus is there's no damage that's beyond repair. You can hope in Jesus. And as you hold on to hope, he can take the very thing in your marriage, in your life, with your children, where you feel that you're just stripped down to the studs, bare bones, and he can rebuild it into something new. Reconciling. When we recognize that conflict is not a contradiction to healthy relationships, It's a catalyst. When we see the difference between chaos and conflict, we center ourselves around larger values and a a centered vision that that ultimately comes here from this word. As we experience those things in our life, in our marriage, with our family, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Just keep taking steps. It takes a while. Strip something down to the studs to start rebuilding. It takes a bit. It's like I said during prayer, anytime you build something, it takes longer, it costs more than you thought. But in the end, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's so worth it. Because God can do what you can't do in your own strength. You see, for me, when I stand on this platform, I have the opportunity to see faces, people that, I know casually that I see on a weekend, some I know in a deeper and greater way, some have the opportunity to walk through challenging situations as well as celebrate exciting moments. I'm reminded of a family. I remember there was a couple about a year ago, a little over a year ago, difficult situation. They're wondering, man, strip down to the studs. Or are we gonna make it? Can, can, we, get, can we get through this? And as Wendy and I met with each of them individually, we just kept telling them, keep taking steps, and they did. It wasn't anything that we did or said, we just kept pointing them back to Jesus. And now here they are over a year later. It's been a year of taking steps. They didn't get there overnight. And they certainly weren't gonna walk in healing overnight, but as they did, what began to happen is now they're in a place where God has transformed their marriage and their family because it's the hope of Jesus that does that. 